Welcome back to another round of the Props and Hops Super Bowl Shuffle interview series. I'm your host, Matt Landis, joined today by a pro better, more importantly, a friend and a mentor, Las Vegas Chris. To commemorate episode number 200 of this show, couldn't ask for a more fitting guest, personally or professionally. And if you're wondering why I say that, especially from a professional standpoint, get a grasp on some of these numbers and and why Chris is the person that you probably want to be hearing from as you start to look to refine your betting process the week of the Super Bowl or year-round for that matter. 2022 NFL betting record, up more than 41 units, winning percentage, 55.1% over the course of 275 plays, so we're not exactly talking small sample size here, ROI 7.8%. And those Stellar 2022 numbers, not much of an aberration. Lifetime since 2014, Chris is up more than 282 units, winning percentage 56.4%. And again, keeping sample size in mind, that 56.4% rate, more than 1,000 plays built into the sample, ROI 8.9%. Chris, I feel like a lot of these numbers explain why Roxy Roxborough called you perhaps the only person who could beat the NFL in the long term. And having those accomplishments and all that you bring to the table in store today, couldn't be more excited to welcome you back to Props and Hops. Well, thank you very much. It's great chatting with you again, Matt. And uh, I hope you have a uh, very successful 2023 ahead for you uh, all around. I think this is a good time not just to look ahead to the Super Bowl on Sunday, a lot of excitement for that, but to start to plant the seeds of some success in 2023 through your perspective, a lot of the wisdom that you can share that people, frankly, aren't going to be getting anywhere else. And while I think a lot of this conversation can be a good springboard for people looking to get the ball rolling on 2023, the best way to do that might be to take a step back at first and consider the season of the, as a whole. You've referred to 2022 I believe it's the year of the pivot. I'd love it if you could expand on that a little bit and tell us what might be the biggest lesson or lessons that you've taken away from this past season. You know, I've got to be the antithesis of uh, people that you're having guessed these shows before the Super Bowl because um, I'm probably the opposite of every other guest. I don't give that much concern to the Super Bowl. The bigger the game, the less value there is to be found. And my mental uh, outlook is already looking ahead for next year. I need to go through all 272 games uh, this season. And I joked with somebody who's going to help me. And I said, well, if we only do five minutes each game, then it'd only take us 22 hours, but uh, we don't need five minutes on each game. But um, the, this was a, as you mentioned, a pivotal season because uh, I had to pivot and I don't care how many years you've been doing this. You can't have your ego get in the way. You can't be stubborn and you have to be open-minded about your process. And during this season, there was something wrong. And my, my NFL sides have always done very, very well, 56, 57% uh, uh, range. And I was, I did not start off this season very well at all. And it got to the point where, I mean, I was really, really looking forward to it. And I could not understand it. Just every variance possible was working against me. It was, it was ridiculous. And uh, it, it actually got so intense for me. And I, and I had to pivot and find different ways to attack the games that I have not been doing in the past. Because I know my system works, but 
it's just a little bit off this season. The variance was a little bit strong. So what I ended up doing was changing the way that I bet. And I started to look at games from different perspectives. I put parlays and teasers into play uh, much more often. And if I had not done that, I would have gotten buried this year because the NFL sides by themselves without the little added helps of money lines or teasers would not have fared well. I don't think I haven't done my autopsy to find out what my straight side record would have been, but I will be going through it with a fine tooth comb to figure out what variables that I, I, you know, were affecting my games, what filters I can change and exactly what got me to the point. But I was so I became so pissed and so laser focused on what was ahead of me. And I know I was down at one point and, and I had people that follow me and I was disappointing them. And I was just looking ahead, looking ahead week to week, week to week, concentrating each week, each game, each Thursday, Sunday, Monday game. What's the best way I can bet this game? And I went weeks and weeks and weeks like that. And I didn't even realize I ended up having a good year. I honestly had no idea I was up as much as I was because I was just laser focused ahead of me, not worrying about what was behind me and what I couldn't change, but what I could do to optimize going forward. When you talk about not knowing whether or not you were having a good season, obviously some of the numbers that we shared off the top of the show, they make it abundantly clear that you have had another strong season in a series of strong seasons. But what's it like for you week to week, month to month, while the season is in progress? Because as much as I think it's important, and now that you've got that lifetime sample well north of a thousand plays, I think those numbers have plenty of merit to them. And at the same time, I like to caution betters, especially a week like this, the Super Bowl, a finish line in a lot of people's minds, people who may be hovering on the brink of being in the red or in the black, trying to make a certain push to make it a profitable season. In reality, our bankrolls don't have any way of distinguishing whether it's the Super Bowl or whether it's week one of 2023 or whether it's a college football game between two small teams next October. So arbitrary finish lines can be a little bit dangerous at times. And at the same time, you do want to measure your progress and make sure that you're on the right track or making needed adjustments to get back on the right track. How do you juggle that dynamic? I, I, again, I, I reference, I don't care about the Super Bowl. I, the, you, you know, all these people on all these shows are talking about this and talking about that. I can tell you from experience, there's no value. Anybody that's telling you there's some value to be had today, good luck. Okay, good luck. You know, if that's the way you're going to, you think you're going to make a living finding value betting uh, this side or the props that are available today, good luck. That's all I got to say. Now, the way that I will attack this game is when it comes Sunday, that's when the lines start to get out of whack. The volume is just too high for these sports books to manage properly, and they start moving stuff around to manage their exposure. And different books are going to have different exposures. And uh, that's where it gets interesting. But uh, I'm, you know, I might as well just pick my nose and do nothing until, you know, Saturday afternoon and Sunday morning. Because there, there's the, the real value is Saturday and Sunday when the big volume's already in there. And they're just too busy to keep their eye on everything. And the public, this is the one game where the public can shape the lines and where lines can get away from you. And there have been Super Bowls in the past where I've just completely run out of money and I've borrowed significant six, six digits plus of money from other people. And I'm still trying to decide 
okay, what do I want to spend it on? Because I can spend it here. I can spend it there. And, and it's like, it, it's like, what great bet do I want to have? And then there's other Super Bowls where you're just sitting there and you've got all this money ready to spend and it's not just there. So the bottom line is, is you don't force anything. You wait to see what's going to pop up in front of you. And if you don't find bets, don't force the bets. What's the point? One of the final questions I've been asking people throughout this interview series has been related to the Super Bowl specifically. And I know that we don't need to drill in on the X's and O's there, but I do want to bring something up to this earlier part of the conversation. When you talk about probably just sitting on the sidelines until Saturday evening or mainly on Sunday, getting down probably most of your action. So while you don't know yet where the numbers are going to be, what types of props or angles you might take to attack Super Bowl 57, what can you say at this age about your plan of attack being pretty quiet most of the week and then come Saturday evening, Sunday or morning, Sunday afternoon, what do things look like for you? I'd imagine it might be a pretty frantic final few hours leading up to kickoff. You know, I've learned from experience not to get too excited about it because if you get, if you get this, it's Christmas kind of vibe going in your head, then you're going to make some mistakes and, and you don't want to be in that situation. You really want to just treat it as another day and just go about your business and just make sure that whatever you're doing, you're doing properly and uh, you're not trying to do too many things at once. Whatever you do, make sure you do it right and you do it well. For me, I'm going to be focusing on generally things that are going to cost a lot of money because the public likes to, um, you know, take the underdog type prices and, uh, in my position, if you have the money and you have the experience and you know what to do with things such as alternate lines and, and props, the you know, you're laying a big price, there's where you're going to find some real value as far as I'm concerned, because nobody wants to be laying minus 400s, minus 500s uh, on certain propositions. But I'm more than happy to if there's a lot of value there. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, you know, the value in, in what, what any propositions that take you know, involve laying a price. And, and a lot of that is move, you know, intertwining alternate lines into certain props or uh, scoring margin type things. And I'm trying for oddball middles and stuff like that off of that type of stuff. I think that when you mention looking to perhaps lay some heavy vig in cases where it could present a lot of value for a lot of betters value is synonymous with a big plus number attached to a bet not necessarily the case. If something is going to pay 40 to one, say a defensive player to an MVP, but the true probability is closer to 80 to one, that 40 to one payout, not necessarily value from a mathematical standpoint, whereas things year after year, I'm curious to see if you look out for, you know, no safety, sometimes, you know, minus 800, minus 900, no overtime in a similar price range, things that aren't quite as deep, but no defensive or special teams touchdown, Usually, uh, I don't know what, Chris, in the range of like minus 275, minus 300 after the public money has had its impact. Um, are, are these the types of things that you tend to look for? Are there any other props where right now there's nothing to do, but there might be some that could be at least worth monitoring for people tuning into this conversation and, and willing to also put in the time and shop around come game day? For me, it's, it's primarily the alternate lines. Uh, the, you know, there's a lot of randomness to the safeties thing. I mean, we know that the safeties hit three years in a row and now they haven't hit for how many years in a row. And uh, there's a couple of other uh, similar stats like that with, you know, the team scoring three times in a row. It, it just seems like a lot of that type of stuff just comes in bunches or doesn't come at all for long periods of time. And, um, uh, but I, 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 what I, 
like to do with the alternate lines is try to get stuff for free, get free numbers. You know, if I can get a, you know, a plus 10 and a half at one book uh, at one price, I might be able to find a minus 10 or a minus nine and a half uh, for plus money or cheap where I'm getting a free 10. I mean, those are the types of things that I'm looking at. I'm looking for free 17s. I'm looking to get paid for a 14. I'm looking to get paid to have an 11, um, that type of stuff. And, uh, um, but as far as the regular props and that type of stuff, you know, and it's just not my cup of tea. And, and I don't try to spread myself out too thin on it. I mean, if something pops out at me, then that's one thing. But there are so many people uh, combing the dumpsters for that type of stuff. I'd rather do stuff that's a little bit harder to do, takes a little bit more thought, takes a little bit more experience than just, oh, safety. Yes, no. Everybody can do that. When you talk about putting your experience into play, I think there's a connection to be made from something you mentioned earlier on of getting off to a pretty tough start this season and shifting your focus and pivoting. And to that end, I'm wondering if there's anything from your experience looking at this season as a whole that stands out as perhaps a most tilting loss that really nudged you to make a pivot that you weren't previously considering making. I would say it was the realization that I was getting really sick and tired of losing plus two and a halves um, and small favorites. So I like two and a half kind of point. Well, I, I, I lost a series of plus two and a half or plus three games. And I said, I, I've had it. I, I've absolutely had it with this. There's got to be a way out of this. And, uh, um, so I started looking at uh, the teaser end of that. Now, you know, 99%, 99% of the time, you really shouldn't be doing parlays. And, you know, teasers are a whole different animal where there's a lot of misinformation on teaser data where we've been programmed that you can only wong teaser. And the whole dynamics of teasers are changing because different places are now charging different prices. Uh, so you can find cheaper teasers if they are not Wong teasers. So if you're, you're able to lay even money or minus 110 on non-Wong teasers, well, that, that changes the whole dynamic of value. And uh, you're finding places that you can now do seven, seven and a half, eight, eight and a half point teasers. The 10 point teasers are worth the look. The 13 point teasers are worth the look. And depending on how these books are shading, uh these these lines the juice and what they're willing to give you because sometimes it's not a standard seven points like a pinnacle they may give you nine points on on something that you could really use um but you what's really important is layering and not marrying your plays uh you know for example you know you're looking at a thursday game and it's a plus two and a half point underdog or it's a six-point favorite. I sit there and I look at that game, and I don't know how I'm ever, ever going to be able to bet those games straight again because I look at those games as standalone games, and why in the world am I not taking either a six-point teaser up to eight-and-a-half and a two-and-a-half-point dog, or if it's three, turn it into a seven-point teaser and get it up to ten, and using it into plays I am going to place anyway later on in the week. 
So why am I going to sit there and, and lay plus or, you know, take plus three or plus two and a half on a game that I can get plus eight and a half or plus 10 and then add the equity and throw that added equity into a game later on? And it's the same way with parlays. Why am I going to lay six points when I can just lay minus 240 on the money line or something and use that into another three and a half point favorite that I don't want to lay three and a half points on in Sunday? And find a way to layer them together. They all act independently. Whereas if the, you were going to lose your front ends anyway, uh, if they go down. And if they win, you threw all that equity into back end bets. So, and they always have staggered starting time. So if you have a two team or a three team, you can make your moves at each point. And the other important thing to do is to not throw your back ends all into one sort of eggs in one basket, so to speak. So if you're going to bet 4% on a Thursday game, you don't bet 4% on one back-end parlay or one back-end teaser. You split it up and you put 2%, 1%, 1%, and you spread it out so you're getting that equity strung along uh, into different uh, bets that you're going to be placing anyway. I think that point using a Thursday night standalone game as an example also applies to bankroll management for the Super Bowl. A lot of people talk about imagining how the game's going to play out. And if you like the Eagles and you're betting Jalen Hurts overs and Miles Sanders overs and AJ Brown overs and Kansas City unders, those are all highly correlated outcomes. So to your point, if you have a certain bankroll set aside for a typical game, just because it's the Super Bowl, you don't need to make your biggest bets of the year because it's the biggest game of the year. And also being mindful of correlation so that, yeah, you don't need to limit yourself to just like one standard unit split up a hundred different ways if you're getting involved in a lot of props. But where there is that correlation, making sure that one bad outcome on one Sunday isn't going to possibly magnify the risk of ruin. So I really appreciate what you shared there. I can speak from firsthand experience. I listen to a lot of podcasts greater than one X speed, just trying to get through as much good info as I can. Chris, I'm not sure if you do the same. Somehow it seems like you listen to everything, but even if somebody usually listens to two X, if you're doing this right now, strong consideration should be given to going back to these last, I don't know, five minutes or so everything you just shared for somebody who can really slow down, absorb that information think about it and remember it as we get closer to the 2023 season. I think there is a lot of gold in there from a process-based standpoint that we're simply not hearing anywhere else. And I appreciate that a lot of this insight comes again from a tougher start to the season. You mentioned a lot of short underdogs not coming through. So you figured, why don't you just tease and capture some key numbers? Sounds like that was a pretty big turning point for you. And I'm wondering without getting too attached to, you know, any one game or any one moment, if there was anything on the other end of the spectrum from tilting losses to perhaps some fortunate wins where you realized, okay, you made this pivot. There was a lot of variance this season, but by unlocking some key numbers, suddenly these fluky outcomes weren't killing your bets, but the pivots you made were the reason that you still had some equity in these bets. Do any examples like that come to mind as you look back on this season? Well, you know, we felt like kids in the candy store, you know, the people that follow me were just uh, very, very happy because, um, Every week we were we were flipping uh, a couple of losers completely into the winner column. Uh, you know, Kansas City, we bet a lot this year. They didn't cover, but they were covering money lines and teasers very well for us. Um, they, you know, got my butt handed to me with Jacksonville early on, but we turned we started turning Jacksonville losers into winners by betting them differently. Also, um, just. Uh, 
There, there are a lot of things that people tell you on Twitter or on their apps that are not 100% true. Just because somebody says you can't do this or you can't do that, that's horse manure, okay? And they can talk to, they're blue in the face and tell you, no, you can't do that. No, you have to do that. They are either misinformed or they don't know how to twist things in their favor. And I know people far sharper than I am, far smarter than I am doing exactly what I'm doing. Uh, and that's the way they do it. And they don't run their mouth about it. And they don't, uh, they quietly do it. And they quietly know these things. Uh, there are no absolute teaser rules. There are no absolute parlay rules when you're talking about staggered times and staggered uses and varied uses into them. Uh, you know, when you look up data and such, um, yeah, broadly the data says you can't do this, but you can't get the data that includes a lot of the peripheral situational things such as home away, divisional, non-divisional, weather, um, and a variety of other inputs. Other, it, You're basically just looking at a superficial look of why you're not supposed to do it. But when you can throw in um, a bunch of other variables, such as the, you know, the impending line movement uh, that's going to elongate your value and some of the other concerns that I just mentioned, you get a whole hell of a lot of value. And plus the prices that you pay. A lot of people like to lecture, oh, you can't do this. Well, it depends on the price you're getting. And it depends on the number that you're getting. And if you're able to get the perfect numbers with the perfect prices, with the perfect layering, well, that's a hell of a lot of value. And, you know, if people want to call me crazy and say, oh, he's a moron, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Hey, I've been doing these teasers and parlays for like three years, and I have a huge profit on it, huge. And I posted it on my Twitter uh, back in December. And last month alone, another great, great month. You have to know specifically why you're doing it. You don't just marry teasers or parlays together as sort of the houses by the side of the road. They serve a purpose, a multi-purpose, that they're always living as each leg goes through. As you're describing this, I have a vivid flashback to this past summer. You and I got lunch at Lotus of Siam, and then you were kind enough to give me a ride to the airport. And I think what it was below 120, so therefore the top was down in the convertible, and I'm sweating my butt off on the five minute drive to McCarran. But I remember at a red light, you just talking about this concept of, hey, what am I missing with these standalone games? If there's a six and a half point favorite, if there's a two and a half point underdog, you talk about layering and sequencing. Um, I, I think the wheels were in motion for you well before this season kicked off. And that's probably why you were able to make such an effective pivot when you did. And at the same time, you touched on really knowing what you're doing and and not just doing this without a clue of, you know, the reasoning and the price point. And I'm wondering if it's an appropriate pushback here for somebody who is more of a recreational better who might be newer to this. One thing that makes me cringe, and maybe I'm, I'm guilty as part of the, you know, establishment, so to speak, not as a professional better by any stretch, but as somebody who's been betting for more than a decade. When I listen to other shows and it's, hey, there's this 13 and a half point favorite. I don't know if they'll win by two touchdowns. So let's tease them down to minus seven and a half. A lot of that, if it's done flippantly, that can be very dangerous to the ill-informed better. So I think there are some people who think outside the box and they say, hey, don't think in absolutes. You don't need to just do long teasers. And they're saying it more to be contrarian in my head. It seems like for the sake of being contrarian, 
And that can be really dangerous versus when somebody really knows what they're doing. In your case, when you've really done the research and you have the experience to know why you're doing it, to pick your spots more selectively, I just do have some concern about a novice better if they're getting too cavalier about non-wong teasers or too many parlays. That could be a pretty slippery slope. So how would you advise somebody who might be newer to all this, more on the recreational side, um, if they don't have the time or resources that a pro better does to really pick their spots, do you still think there's merit to not thinking absolutely, but far more often than not, kind of sticking to some of the established rules of thumb when it comes to things like teasers and parlays? Well, I, I go back to where I said at the beginning, 99.9% of parlays you probably shouldn't be making or consider them donations when you put them in. Um, the, the, you know, it gets down, you know, the most important thing is try not to just marry these things together because, you know, uh, you, you really have to look at your schedule of games that you would like to bet and think and not necessarily in terms of what games do you like the most, but how you can pr protect your games the best. So example, you don't put your Thursday game in and only marry it to one back end, as we discussed before. You don't want that front end that you won to go completely to waste. And by the same token, if that lost, you didn't ruin three back ends or one back end or whatever. You have time to rebet that. So that's the problem with a lot of people not thinking ahead of time with parlays and teasers is make those back ends available for you to maneuver and rebet. Don't waste. Make sure that you can't waste any of your legs. Uh, that's the that's the biggest mistake that you can make. Uh, you, if you don't know specifically why and how to layer and why you're doing it, then you should probably just stick to the Wong teasers going through the 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 three, six, seven, uh, making sure and don't do any other teasers because most of the other ones are not good. Uh, but they can be in, in certain situations. So, but rule of thumb, stick to the wands. Uh, but and shop those teasers because you can get even money teasers if they're not wands, and then that kind of changes the things a little bit. Uh, uh, it, the parlay is the same way. Uh, make them work for you. Don't waste your legs. Always make sure that whatever you're doing when you're marrying bets, that they could be standalone if the front ends lose, and you can reset them. Don't waste your games. I appreciate the nuance that you're bringing to the table here. And one thing you touched on was that flexibility, the notion of maneuverability. And while there's just one game on the slate, obviously, when we're looking at the Super Bowl, there are a lot of betters this week that might see a connection to flexibility in the way of what to do, if anything, with futures bets on the Chiefs or the Eagles. And I'm one who's fortunate. I had Sharp Clark on the show last Friday before the season. He had a good write-up making the case to at least consider a futures ticket on the Chiefs. I, I shopped around, got Kansas City 14 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. So that has me with a lot more exposure on the Chiefs in this one game than I would typically have on a regular NFL Sunday. Plenty of other Chiefs futures betters, Eagles futures betters in a similar spot. And my initial reaction goes back to getting to know David Malinsky over the years. There's the opportunity to lock in a profit, absolutely, with that kind of equity on a futures ticket. And at the same time, if it's not life changing money, or a hedge doesn't have standalone value, then, you know, just let it ride. And that's the boat that I'm in right now is letting my 14 to one ride, knowing full well that, I mean, as we record this, the Eagles are minus one, minus one and a half across the board. 
it's telling me there's a greater than 50 50 shot i wake up on monday morning and my 14 to 1 chief ticket is a zero in the bank account so it depends on how you can process things as a better but as you touch on flexibility with things like teasers and parlays what would you say might apply to a lot of betters who are considering what to do again if they should even do anything if they're holding eagles and chiefs futures bets from before the season um I like Sharp Clark a lot, by the way. Uh, he and I do a lot of exchanging, and he's one of the guys that um, he's not married to his pro- – I mean, he's, he's committed to his process, but he's not stubborn or anything. He's very open-minded to absorbing information, and we, we bucked heads a lot of the times. And uh, uh, just, a, just a really good guy. You know, there's other people in this industry that uh, they have a good year or two, and they think that they know it all. They haven't faced the adversity. And they're not prepared to face, you know, a brick wall of mediocre results. They find it harder to to adapt or pivot, and they're stubborn about it. So I just want that to, and that's tough. You have to be willing to. Getting to your question, though, um, when you're talking about hedging, there's two things that are really critical for me. Number one, you don't really want to hedge unless your hedge in itself is a good wager by itself. And secondly, I'm not going to ever hedge without being able to win both. So I, I'm not going to sit there if I've got if I need Kansas City to win. I'm not betting Philadelphia. There's just no way. And the way that I'll hedge. Here's a perfect example: Arizona, Tampa Bay on that uh, late season game. I had uh, um, Tampa Bay teased down to pick. I had them in parlays or teasers down to pick, but I, I didn't like it and I had too much on it, But and I wanted to hedge out of it. But how, how do you hedge that? You know, you, you don't want to hedge the money line because then you're going to give up part of your bet. So what I did is I took the alternate line and I took the, uh, I could have taken Arizona, I think plus 350 or something straight up. But I don't want to do that because I'm sacrificing my bet. So I took the plus three and a half Arizona plus uh, 195, I think, and that middle, which was nice. I mean, I've got I had three full numbers. I'm getting paid two to one. And that was the way I chose to hedge. And they all won. I, I don't don't understand why people want to sacrifice and buy back. Uh, if they, you need a team to win, why are you buying back with the money line and you're giving, you're automatically losing? So always look for different props that covered, you know, a series of numbers that are okay for you or alternate lines. Again, live on alternate lines. Familiar yourself with alternate lines. Alternate lines are really powerful sometimes. They really can get you where you want to get. I like that. Yeah. All lines and props. It's not all about the money line. And before you answered that question directly, I'll make sure to get Sharp Clark to hear the kind words you had to say about him. I can absolutely second everything that you said. And he's somebody who's grown a lot in the betting content space over the course of this season. I know that you contribute a lot to the space via Twitter, via your YouTube channel as well. So as somebody who's not just a professional better, but somebody who is very engaging online and open to hearing different perspectives and striking up new relationships with people. What would you say over the course of this season in the betting content space? What have you observed that you would like to see less of moving forward? And on the flip side, what would you like to see more of moving forward? I sent out a tweet this past weekend uh, referencing politics. I think we can all agree that politics are just a complete and utter joke. It doesn't matter which side you support. 
Uh, I think we can all agree that both sides, there's just absurdity at levels that are, are, you know, wouldn't even make a good Saturday Night Live skit 10 years ago. And now there are, this is our reality. So the gambling space is that bad with information. I mean, everybody is out there trying to outdo each other and try to be original and try to sound smarter. And that's where the real problem is. When I look at NFL, I mean, I, you know, I have a long-term NFL successful record. And I listen to what people put into what they think is important or what stats that people think are important. And they repeat it week after week after week. And those are either stats that I don't even use or uh, are flawed. And it's like uh, people are trying to outdo themselves by creating new stats and they're going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And honestly, I think you have to find a way to simplify things. Things are not that complicated. Look at baseball. Why don't people win in baseball? Because it's 500,000 stats to, of, of, of minutia to, to, to go through. And they're doing the same thing with NFL. And they're going to have the exact same success ratio as the people trying to make money in baseball every year. And we know the people in money trying to make money in baseball every year are up and down every year. And most people have given it up. They're just chasing numbers. The handicap, they're done with it. They're chasing numbers for the most part. So, and that's what this NFL is going to be as people try to, you know, analyze cup size and, you know, you know, whether the wife's in town or not and and, and all these variables that are getting so ridiculous, you know, where you're, you're, you're putting my, I, I don't even know. I, I, some of the stats I hear, I just laugh. I just laugh. And, and, and here's the other thing is there are so many new stats that involve human interpretation. Okay catchable balls. Uh, There's uh, dozens of other stats that are open for human interpretation. Well, are you joking? We would look at the, look at the, 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 the replay. They can't get replays right when everybody and their grandmother can see, you know, it was a touchdown or it wasn't a touchdown. And you think they're getting catchable balls, right? And all these other stats, right? Of course they aren't. So if even 10% of those stats are wrong, think about the compounding nature of week to week to week, and then integrating with other uh, stats that are used for, uh, you know, human interpretation and the compounding effect of it, all of it, none of it's doing you any good. And it's comical that the people think that it's important. Plenty that could be cleaned up in this space. Is there anything that you have seen in the last four months or so throughout the course of this NFL season that you hope to see even more of as we get closer to the 2023 season a few months down the road? Oh, I, I just think people need to be themselves. You know, you see a lot of people try. It's funny because people go out and they, um, you can tell that they're going out of their way to be authentic. And I think authentic people come out as authentic without having to try to be authentic, if that makes any sense. And I, I think the problem is that you have uh, little media, you have relationships with casinos. Like I can't sit there and bash casinos that I have a relationship with. Okay. And people in media can't sit there and bash or be honest in in many, many, many instances. They can't be themselves. They cannot be authentic no matter how hard they try because they can't risk relationships. And there's a whole layering of relationships that, that the average person doesn't realize. And 
and most people care about those relationships. So you can't burn bridges. You can't really be honest uh, about a lot of different things. I don't know whether I may, whether I articulated that well, but you just have to be really careful with people's narratives and their goals and what they're trying to do. They want to get advertisers. They want to, they want to better their advancement in the industry. They want more notoriety. Uh, the, that's the number one thing that I think is wrong are, are younger guys that have had a year or two of success that think that they know it all. And they're, they're so, they're so impatient with growing their brand and having people recognize their success. And uh, this is hard stuff. Everybody wins. Everybody loses. It takes time and experience over time. You're not going to get it overnight and you don't deserve any recognition until you've been in the industry for a while and you've gone to the school of hard knocks and you've met with a lot of difficulty and success. I mean, I think one of the things that I like is, you know, hey, I won money again in contests. Uh, I, I had a nice hit in millions this year and I've had the success and I just take it in stride. I had a good year in NFL. I take it in stride. Actually, I'm pissed at my last NFL season. I have a lot more work to do. It's making me work harder to try to maintain because somebody else is going to catch up. Uh, the numbers are going to catch up. You, you can never rest in this betting thing. You have to be willing to adapt and change what you're doing. And if you think these EPA stats, DVOA stats are your, your shortcut to success, good luck with it. I hear you on this being really hard. You can never rest if you're looking for that next edge. And at the same time, do want to be sure to weave the hops into this conversation. And that can be associated with resting and relaxing from time to time. So I'm wondering, Chris, after the 24 hour or so sprint leading up to kickoff, once the game begins, is there a go-to drink or food or anything you're looking to bring to the table to maximize your enjoyment from a viewing perspective come Super Sunday? Oh, not really. But I, as we've discussed in the past, I'm a Jim Bean man, so... Uh... I'm a bourbon or whiskey guy, so uh, that's where I'm always uh, looking. Uh, and uh, as far as realistically, my I, I I love my Super Bowl squares. I get in these you know nice five hundred dollars squares that pay nice, and I'm actually more excited about my Super Bowl squares every year than I am my bets. I mean, I, I can't control uh, what happens on the field, but the Super Bowl squares are so exciting and. The, the number one thing that I like to avoid on Super Bowl Sunday is crap food, chicken fingers, chicken wings, pizza. I don't want any of that crap. I, I want to treat myself to something nice if it's going to be a special day. I don't like to go to the parties where it's chips and pretzels and it, just the run of the mill stuff. Uh, anything unique is good. All right. Well, hopefully something to end your season on a high note can involve Jim Beam in one hand and a winning square on the other. And at least with those squares, too, no VIG involved. So, yes, we can eliminate any pretenses of having an edge. But with no VIG, at least for somebody who doesn't really know what they're doing, that's another way to get some skin in the game, knowing that every dollar put into those pools will also get paid out. Chris, beyond the end of this season, now less than a week away, I know there's plenty to look forward to this off season. And if you were to think of one or two things that you are most anticipating this coming off season, what comes to mind? Mental health. I don't think my mental health was good this year. And I think it's important to uh, monitor. Uh, I mean, if you're, if, uh, this, this is for serious people that uh, get too involved. I mean, uh, it's very easy to become a little bit manic and a little bit uh, unhealthy. Uh, 
even though you're doing everything right, you just need to put some time aside for yourself and to kind of not lose, you know, lose yourself, so to speak, uh, in, 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 too much because there's always something that can be done. And that's the problem. And if you're really good at this, you understand that. And you, every day you go to bed, you're like, oh, there's 10 more things I can do. So my number one goal is to try to get my mental health back together because I, I became a little bit too manic. I didn't have uh, enough time to myself. And uh, I kind of burnt out and fried out a little bit because I had to work so much harder because I was having such a crappy beginning. And uh, I feel... It was, this is just like a tale of two cities. It was the best of times and it's the worst of times where I hated this season so much, but I learned so much from this season that I'm looking forward to using next year. Because if I can have the results I had this year and I can have good results next year out of the gate with, with sides, straight side bets, well, now I'm going to be really dangerous because I've learned, learned some stuff that I think is really powerful. Love it. And I appreciate you sharing a lot of what you've learned with myself, with the audience over the course of this conversation. Before we wrap up, I want to remind everybody who's not doing so already, you can follow Chris on Twitter at Las Vegas Chris. Note that there is no H in Chris. You can also check out his YouTube channel at Las Vegas Chris. Chris, anything I'm missing, anything else you'd like to add? I uh, know that the YouTube channel has some great videos, uh, uh, Somebody you've had on your show, Ron, uh, and I, Ron from A Sports, and I have done a lot of videos. We have a summer series of videos that we recorded last summer that everybody should see. With uh, we did uh, Matt Metcalf, the head of Circa, uh, Dr. Bob, Adam Chernoff, uh, Todd Furman, uh, Brad Powers, uh, uh, Paul Stone. And we ask the questions that nobody else asks. So that's what makes those different. And we're really proud of that stuff. And Ron and I did some great stuff all year long. And we're going to have some good stuff coming this summer, too, I think. Yeah, I can't highly recommend enough that people check out what you've been doing with Ron. Um, unfortunately, on my end, a quick correction, I have not had Ron on this show yet. And that needs to change in short order you. this offseason. <laughs> I will be joining him by the time people hear this conversation uh, on his channel for a season exit interview on my beloved chargers so i'm sure it's going to be fun to relive week 18 and the wild card round but always a good time with ron and i gotta get him on here pretty soon once we get past super bowl 57 chris for now i want to really thank you for joining episode 200 of props and hops and also to the audience thank you to everybody for tuning in continuing to grow this show slowly but surely over the course of our first 200 episodes here's to many more to come and to that end, I'll be back daily through Friday this week. That includes getting back at it tomorrow with Suma, our final time together this season for one more betting market breakdown as we approach Super Bowl 57. Well, thanks for having me. I, I love listening to your shows. It's one of my uh, must-listen-to shows uh, every week. So uh, uh, you're doing a great job, and I look forward to uh, your future content. Ups and ups and ups and ups and ups.